Hi, and welcome to the Authentic Audience Podcast. I'm your host, Krista Ritma. This is a marketing podcast like you haven't heard before. It's about real connections and honest conversations. Why am I here? To remind you that you can fly. If you're brave enough to listen to that calling inside you, I'm here to serve you and show you that marketing can and should be honest, that the truth sells and authenticity wins. So how can businesses and brands build a real and authentic audience? The Authentic Audience Podcast gives you insight into growing your business and marketing strategies to gain real followers and loyal customers. Each week, I create a space of radical honesty for thought leaders and entrepreneurs who have built successful businesses to share their insights on business, marketing, relationships, life, and spirituality. Each episode is sure to remind you the power of storytelling and truth selling. Get ready to get real, get raw, get honest, and keep growing. Thomas Cousins is the president of Ineffable Music, a multifaceted modern music company. Ineffable Music manages the careers of artists like Stick Figure, Trevor Hall, Collie Buds, and many more, owns or operates five music venues in California, produces Levitate Music Festival and Cali Cali Roots Festival, runs Ineffable Records, an artist focused label. Additionally, Ineffable is the major financier of Rootfire, a nonprofit label that gives artists interest-free, no-term loans, and free label services. Thomas is based in Oakland, where he lives with his wife and daughters, and is one of my biggest inspirations in business. So I'm really happy to have you here. Hi. Oh, thank you so much. Pleasure to be here. Um, So... Obviously, you manage Trev, who everyone on this podcast knows is a dear friend of mine and has been a guest on here before. So that's how we met. Um, But the story quickly, uh, the first time we met, do you remember? Yeah, you uh, we met in in my office, I think, in Oakland, um, which used to be Green Day's studio. So yeah, so cool. You had to come into the uh, the cave, the cave of darkness at the front, um, and uh, yeah, it was uh, enlightening to link with you and Clay and see find somebody in the Bay Area that actually understood how to directly connect to fans in an authentic, no pun intended, way. Um, so uh, yeah, that 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 was that. That was so fun. I remember leaving and saying I called Trevor in the in the car and I was like if Thomas asked me to quit my job and come work for him right now I would and um it was just really inspiring to see how you do things and what Clay says is he you guys remind him of like the authentic audience of the music business um so just the amount of transparency and working with good people and just love that you have for what you do is so cool. So, um, since then I've sort of been, uh, silently or in my world silently, but I'm never very quiet, um, supporting what you do and the ideas that you come up with. And I've gotten to have a pretty cool insight, um, into, the ideas that you have and then see them played out in front of Trevor's audience is just very cool and very interesting to watch. So I want to dive into that. I have lots of questions, but um, lots uh, changes happening in the music world right now. So um, what's happening in your world? Like, what are you working on? What are you focusing on? What are you doing today? Well, you know, I always think of an artist's career as three entirely separate businesses. Um, one is touring, 
and the live experience, which has been put on hold momentarily. Um, but there's two entire, you know, there's two other businesses. One is the music business, which is the how you're going to monetize your creations, your artistic creations, and how you're going to um, take advantage of the music you've created to get opportunities and get new fans and everything that goes into releasing music. Um, and then the other, then the third one is your merchandise, your lifestyle brand, and everything, everything behind that, and and, and kind of encapsulating who you are as an artist into the brand that is that is put out there in the world and, and making a merchandise company out of that um so my focus i've kind of like put a pause on everything live um even though it was a huge part of our business but i just don't want to focus on it because i don't want to focus on something that's 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 negative in general and i'm just like okay we got to adjust what are we going to do we need to focus on owning our own content and releasing as much content as possible um, and, uh, and and developing our brands and our infrastructure further. So my day since COVID has been one part establishing even more foundation and an infrastructure level, making sure everything is optimized, all outlets are monetized to the T Every, every possible thing we can submit for without spending any money is submitted for, you know, we're, we're taking advantage of all the free opportunities to have a really strong base. That's one. Two would be focusing on a content rollout plan and making sure that we are, we are delivering value and content to our fans and also trying to, to catch more eyeballs and more ears now that uh, that people have a different set of time. We're not catching them in their car on their way to work, but they are at home, so we have more opportunity on other platforms to to get people to pay attention and, and consume the music that we're putting out there. Um, and then the third thing is it's a great time for, you know, for new drops, new types of merch and new, new capsules. Um, so it's been as busy as ever. It's just been a shift of focus and trying to open up new revenue streams and paying attention to the little details. Yeah. So your mindset is something that really inspires me. I, uh, we were at Red Rocks last year and, um, something went wrong right before the show was supposed to start as it, you know, typically does something is always going wrong. And that's sort of my new mantra. If something's going wrong, it means you have a business and watching the way you handled that, um, was impressive to say the least. Like there was never a moment where you lost your cool and, um, you just stayed so calm and everything worked out. Of course, it was like that piece of equipment. Remember we had to like, go get this piece of equipment. It was like totally a nightmare. And I was like, you know, I pretend I like have a responsibility at Red Rocks when I really have zero responsibility. One of the band members said to me one time, you know, Krista, like we, we, we've functioned without you 99% of the time. Um, but it was a stressful environment and you did not even seem phased on the outside. Um, and that similarly with the whole COVID crisis, you were one of the first people I was actually thinking of because so much of your business is live music. And so I was wondering how you were doing. And Trevor was like, he's good. His wheels are spinning. He's already working on the next thing. How do you in business and like in those situations, like what's your secret to, are you freaking out on the inside? Is it a facade? Like what's, what's going on? How do you stay so calm? Cause that is actually the thing that inspires me the most about you. You're very quiet. Um, 
and I can see the wheel spinning. Like there's always something happening. And I said to Emery today, I want to find out what he thinks about all day on this podcast and how he remains so calm throughout everything. Yeah. So a, a lot of stuff to unpack in that. And, um, you know, what I'm, and you think about the music business, it's actually very simple. Each individual action that you take, anybody can do, right? Like anybody could have run to Guitar Center and got that new piece of equipment and brought it back. There's, no, there's nothing hard in that. Right. The hard thing in music is that there are a million little tiny things like that all happening at the same time. And you just need to be able to see all those spinning plates and understand how they connect and move together to achieve the end result. So me, in my mind, I literally have no other hobbies. So this is my job, my career, and my hobbies. So it's <laughs> my mind is just constantly thinking, okay, in a, in, in a loop, in circles that are moving in three dimensions, even though I generally am like better in a linear capacity than in three dimensions. But I'm trying to think about every possible thing that is coming up and how it can interact with the other things that are out there in the in the atmosphere of the music business um, and how we can leverage the piece of content we have or the new thing we're doing or what we're working on or our platform to make a bigger impact um, uh, and where those where those areas that are being ignored are so that we can run into those areas as quickly as possible um, so you know there's nothing special about what we're doing it's it's like one part, roll up your sleeves, kind of blue collar work ethic vibes. And the other part is just knowing that with a million things going on, stuff is always going to go wrong. And it's more important how you handle those things and that, you, you know, you, you work forward and through them um, in a calm manner. It's very, very important. Um, you know, there was a last year at Levitate, um, all of a sudden the thunder and lightning was within eight miles. So we had to pause the show. Then it got within five miles. So we had to evacuate the entire audience of 15,000 people. Um, now, when you're doing that, obviously a lot of, there's a lot of issues, a lot of problems that could come up, but just making sure that, that we hit our zones, we took care of the people that were there, we communicated effectively with the bands. It ended up that the number one question that came up as people were exiting was, where can we get a beer? during the evacuation. Um, and then, you know, 20 minutes later, everyone was able to come back in and everybody stayed cool. And we, you know, we had a great show. Um, and that's what I, that's, there's always going to be something mm -hmm. like you said. So we, uh, we just want to, uh, want to work through it. And then, um, yeah, I think that's, I think that's mostly what you asked, but, uh, yeah, I just think like what you touched on is that blue collar work ethic. I think that that's so important to like, I started my business or my career in LA and I was working for really big TV producers and movie producers. And one person in the office said to me one time, um, you're going to be on red carpets and you're going to be taking out the trash and neither thing is more important than the other. And that really stuck with me. And it's like all these little parts of the business, whether it's, you know, a grueling spreadsheet or getting to interview one of my favorite people in business on the podcast. It's like, all equally important. Um, but I still, I, my reaction, my outward reaction is what I'm working on and it's what inspires me 
the most about you is how, cause I know that you're going through all these scenarios and I can see like you're 10 steps ahead all the time. It's like chess. Um, and I'm very much in the present moment. So I think as a business owner, like you have so many spinning plates and that's what I want to get to next is the story of ineffable and how this all came to be. Um, because you have so many different facets of the business and that's what I'm looking to do in the marketing world, right? Is like have all these different sort of facets, um, where we can teach people and coach people and help people scale their businesses. So, um, yeah, I just think that watching the way you work, um, is very, very impressive for somebody that tends to be more reactionary. Um, and it just doesn't seem like you have anything to prove. You're just confident in what you're doing. You're not trying to sell anybody and you're just like even keeled. And the more I grow in business, the more I respect <laughs> people that behave that way. So, but let's talk about ineffable. Um, how did this come to be? You're quite young. Um, to be so successful and have so many different responsibilities and you clearly love music and are passionate about it. So what is the story? Like, what is your, why, how did it start? Tell me everything. Yeah. And just to piggyback on the taking out the trash thing that you said, you know, for us, that's handing out flyers and mm. say, come see my show. So you'll, you'll still catch me at the end of a big show, like at Red Rocks or something handing out flyers at the end of the show. And I, I, you know, to, to this day, I've, I've actually passed out over half a million flyers personally. So I, I that's, that's our taking out the trash is giving some yeah. flyers, come see my show. Um, but uh, yeah, ineffable is, you know, I went to UC Santa Cruz, um, uh, me and, and the, my co-founder Igor uh, were roommates there. We were renting, renting apartments to pay for school, rented one to a guy that was like, Hey, you know, I'm good at music and I've got a lot of friends and people that like my music, but I can't get a show. And we said, well, how hard can it be to get a show? Like, that shouldn't be that hard. And uh, we tried, started calling places, and pretty much everyone turned us down and, and realized it's actually pretty hard to get a show. <laughs> <laughs> um, but we, uh, we finally got a club to let us, let us have the night, and um, it was great. It was so much fun, and all of our friends came. And, you know, we maybe made 300 bucks and that was the start of the company. But then we threw another show with a similar local artist and, you know, half of our friends came and, you know, they, they wanted to support, but someone was like, okay, we supported you once already. And then we threw another one and it was just like our very core closest friends that came and we're like, shoot, if we're going to throw more shows, we need to book artists that have their own fans. Mm. Um, and that was really the, that was really the start, but that the itch of standing on campus with a boom box playing the music and, you know, trying to sell tickets person to person and then seeing the night, seeing the whole party unfold was uh, just something that, that hooked me immediately. You know, I'd been planning to go to law school and I'm just so glad that I didn't. Um, so yeah, uh, that was yeah, that, that took me away from that. And I just, we, we haven't looked back ever since. Um, and uh, it's, it's evolved. The way the business has really evolved has been based on, on seeing these areas where artists have been screwed over traditionally. Um, now the most, the most glaring example of that is the traditional record deal. And our first client, Collie Buds, who I've worked for, for 14 years now, um, you know, he was in this big deal with Sony 
And, you know, they put him on the map. They gave him, they gave him a start, and that's really cool. Um, but they just they picked the wrong second single, and they dropped him. And, you know, he thought he was going to have to go back to work, you know, get a regular job. And we said, well, no, we'll get, you know, let's tour and let's, you know, sell merch, and we'll figure it out. We grinded that thing out, and um, and it worked. We still work for him today, um, but the inequity of that deal structure really hit me hard. And I just, as I uncovered layer, peeled layers of the onion of the music business, and I saw a situation that was so stacked against the creators. I really, I really felt like we could, you know. A help artist, but also B have a business opportunity because I didn't think that the that any business that was so unfair to the people that are the stars would you know could ultimately survive in that model, and that's why we started putting music out for free everywhere and just putting it up anywhere we could put our music. We put it up. We didn't worry about anything. We just dropped it, put it everywhere, and then when the business you know just encouraged encouraged our artists, let's just get out of these deals. And let's put out our own music. It doesn't matter if it's free, but let's just get it everywhere. You know, I had a time with when I was dealing with Universal uh, Latino um, on on a project, and you know, I had a um, an opportunity from Red Bull and one from Snapchat in the very first days of Snapchat um, to feature our our new single on both you know the homepage of Snapchat and on the homepage of Red Bull, and there's no money because they were marketing opportunities. Right. And the label shot us down because there was not money available for that particular thing. Um, and to me, in that, in that situation, with a developing artist that didn't have the leverage to demand money from Snapchat or Red Bull, I just thought this is so short-sighted. And again, we just, we wanted to move fully to where we had control and we could, we could take any opportunity and, and evaluated ourselves, and we thought it made sense either for money or for visibility or for or for some good cause or a combination of the three, then we could push it forward and not have anybody stop us for any reason that 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 was outside of the the best interest of the artist. Um, so. What a concept! <laughs> it's not that crazy. You think you think it would be the standard operating procedure? Yeah. Well, I think for a lot of people that don't aren't as familiar with the music industry. It's kind of shocking when you do find out um, how little the artists actually own and how little say they actually have in their own art and their own creations. And um, so that's one way that I, you know, just respect what you're doing so much. What would you say is like your sort of driving mission or your why, if you had to like distill it down across all your platforms with the festivals, the venues, the, because, you know, I tend to look at businesses with like a why and then a lot of what's and the what's are always changing and morphing and evolving, but the why stays the same. Do you, do you find that in your business? Do you have like a sort of driving mission across the board? Yeah. I mean, the simple, non-glamorous, non-for press driving (laughs) mission is just to never have a real job ever. Because this is like literally, like I said, my my passion, my my career, and my hobbies, yeah. um, you know. And I, I worked at I worked at Paradigm for a couple of years, and it's an amazing company, and and I learned so much. But it was still it was a job, um, and getting to work for yourself in any in any capacity is to me is the American dream. Um, 
So the, the, the main original driving force is to get to do music every day. And I can't play. I can't stand on stage. Nobody wants to see me standing <laughs> on stage, right? I, if I get to be in the orbit of these amazing people uh, and th these creators, that's what I want to do every day in my life. So that's the original driving force. Then there, there's, others, there's others which, you, you know, if, if I could distill it to one saying, it's that a rising tide lifts all boats. Mm -hmm. uh, so I'm a huge believer in if we curate and take care of our little individual scenes, then as a whole, we can all, we can all really elevate our position in the music industry and, and have everybody be in a, in a better spot to do music and not have to sacrifice their integrity or, or, uh, or their values for, because they need to pay their bills. Yeah. Yeah. My next question was actually going to be, um, what sets you guys apart? But I think you just answered that, you know, when people are deciding on what label or, um, you know, a manager decision, that's, you know, a big, it's a big decision. It's a personal relationship. It's vulnerable. It's a lot of things. And, you know, I was going to ask, what do you think the biggest thing that sets you guys apart? Do you feel like you answered that? Uh, partially, but uh, I mean, there's, there's other things, you know, on, on the label side, there's just small things that we do that are from the artist's perspective instead of the other way around. Like yeah. on our label, we pay out monthly. I just saw a post about that. I was hoping you'd bring this up. Tell me more about that. Well, this, this, this came to us because, you know, on a lot of these traditional deals that most of our clients were in at the beginning of their careers, um, you get these very obfuscated, I don't even know what that word is, but you know, these, these sort of these, these statements that make no sense. You have no idea why the number is what it is or why it's as low as it, they say it is when it doesn't seem like it should be right. There's, there's just this, this wall of that is blocking the transparency um, around the creation. And our thought was, hey, if we can be really, really open and explain what's going on, then um, then the artist will, will be able to to activate their music better and they will be able to help us do better with the music. And then it came to us later. It was like, oh, wait, one way that, that the artist can be more involved is if they're really feeling what their music made every single month. Wow. Now, that takes that takes a lot of accounting work, but it's, you know, it's the right thing to do. And it, it's the way... You know, it's like we we're able to give the service that a TuneCore distro kid does in terms of getting your money in every month, but with the tools of a label to be able to get you to a lot more people. And and our thing has always been to really invest in people. The mm -hmm. first, the, our first like real employee that cha that was not somebody to generate money is our head of marketing, Anthony who brought this design touch to our company and was able to put in a visual sense, the things we were working on or thinking. And, you know, maybe like I could have out outsourced that design work to things we were working on as a separate company, but does, it was like, no, this is part of the service we provide is to have these people. So by reinvesting people like that, um, it's really helped us to helped us to grow and, and um, that's, that's part of the reason why we are in so many different areas is because I want to be able to, to touch all the different areas and I want to be able to keep investing in people so that we can affect change 
and affect an artist's career in multiple spaces, not just a traditional lane of management. I, I love all of that. It's all very inspiring. And on a personal note, I agree with so much of that around investing in people, around celebrating the creators, because I too, we're, we're, we sort of are in like a similar boat where we surround ourselves with these like really talented artists, creatives. Um, all of my clients are just really, really, they're the creators, they're the artists, and I'm never going to be on stage, but there's something about um, helping lift them up and support them and make sure that we're investing as much as we can into them. And, you know, we're spending most of their money on ads and not paying us but like getting it out there as much as we can. And we have very similar sort of uh, ways of thinking about that. And that makes me really happy because I really like am inspired by your business. So I'm like, okay, I'm doing something right because I do that too, you know? So I think that's, um, you know, really important. And it's for me still a little bit shocking that more people don't think that way um, because actually funny enough, it creates more success, I find anyway. Um, when you are transparent and when you do go sort of above and beyond for your client, artist, creator, et cetera, like more comes back. Um, and I continuously find that like almost the more I invest in my people and my team, the more I give away, the more I um, just even with like little courses, I, I always want to give it away for free. And then the amount that comes back financially is almost like um, I'm like, looking around thinking somebody's watching me sometimes because it's like that quick. Do you find that, that like, it's such a beautiful sort of circle of the more supportive you are and the more like real and authentic you are, the more success and people want to work with you? Yes, yeah, certainly. Um, absolutely. Um, it, it's, it's funny. I, I, uh, yeah, really. Uh, you you got me going on on a uh, on a rabbit hole there. <laughs> I see the uh, wheel spinning. But it really comes down to when I see the stock market. I never understood the the underlying way that the stock market works. It's like the the focus. If you're investing, the focus has got to be on the next quarter's earnings. And I don't understand a business being structured like that to focus on the next quarter's earnings. It makes the, the health of a business is not defined by the next quarter's earnings. The health of a business is defined by how, how happy the people that work there are. The health of a business is defined by its long-term viability and the communities that are created. Like what is the purpose of the business? To me, it is that there, and, and as, you know, other countries have these sort of, concepts of these sort of social enterprises, you know, where the point of the business is not a hundred percent most profits. And that's, that's the thing because I, I do consider myself a capitalist, but at the same time, the purpose of my company is not to generate the most money possible, but it's to generate the greatest, the greatest lifestyle possible for those in our orbit. Um, so, that's, so that's, that's a great so question. Thank you. Thank you. That was a great answer. I'm writing, I'm taking notes because that's going to be the soundbite I used to promote this episode because that was so good. <laughs> uh, my awkward pause. <laughs> no, I love the awkward pause because that 
like just that example totally encapsulates like why I'm so inspired by you because you're so thoughtful and you are quiet. And then what comes out is like oftentimes so profound, so thoughtful, so authentic and just meaningful. Like there's no trying to impress anybody. There's very little ego involved um, when, when I'm learning from you. And that actually similarly reminds me of Clay. Clay is a lot like that. Um, we'll be on a business call with a client and he pauses and I'm sitting there like, come on, like spit it out. And I used to think it made us look bad. And that's just my own sort of ego reaction to like, I want to have the answer and I want to have it now. But if I just shut up and let him pause and nobody else cares, everybody else on the call is like, oh, Clay's thinking about what he's going to say, like unaffected. Um, And then when he does say it, it's oftentimes, you know, I wish I had shut up sooner. So um, I I want to leave the awkward pause in there because it was not an awkward pause. Um, Okay. I have a lot more questions, but I want to uh, sort of stay on this track with um, the other two questions I had and Emery and and Trev and I were joking about this this morning are, and they're different. Um, One is what keeps you up at night. And one is what, the other one is what gets you out of bed in the morning. So what is the thing that is sort of, if there's any stress, um, or sort of concern, what is that? Um, what stresses you out the most and then what excites you the most? Yeah. The, the stressors I'd say are, uh, right now are, I'm like everybody there, they are around, are we going to be able to gather as people again at some point? Because you know, our entire business, the concept, part, one of the concepts of the entire business was that you can't replicate the live experience. And it's almost like when you're at a show or you're at a festival, it's not even, the music is the centerpiece of it. But I always said to people, like, my default activity is to be at music. I could be having a side conversation or, or you know, eating some food or, or having a drink or, or mingling in, in some way or trying, you know, whatever it is, shopping. But I want my default, the default background to be live music. Um, and so totally. what stresses me out is, is the worry that uh, we won't be able to come close together. You know, and I remember at Bonnaroo with Stick Figure a few years ago, and I, I remember starting a mosh pit at, at Cage the Elephant. I felt really safe because I, I was with TJ O'Neill, who's just absolutely, absolutely jacked. And so I was like, okay, I can start a mosh pit. I'm going to be <laughs> And I was just like, this is such an experience that I would only have if I'm here at Bond. We've already played our set, you know, and, and I could just get in the mix with all these thousands of people. And so what stresses me out is the worry that we won't be able to have that again. Um, Do you and, think and that's what, true? I, I think that how we experience life yeah. is going to be altered yeah. in some fundamental ways. Yeah. Uh, Everyone keeps saying we're like moving into this new way of living and we're not going back and la la. And I'm like trying to embrace it, but I really liked my old life and I really liked my old way of living. I was out almost every night. I traveled every week. I went to live shows every month and I was constantly in a crowd. I thrive in a crowd. And so um, this concept of moving into a new world, I've been thinking about this a lot, especially with live music. Um, but I have to say um, that sh- that um, 
what was it for? Was it for conscious alliance? Um, when we all got to see each other on Trevor's screen, was that that show that, okay. So, um, oftentimes right now artists are going live, um, and you can't see anybody else that's listening, right? You can like read comments and like talk shit to trolls, but that's like really all you can do. And that show, um, I think for whatever reason, everyone had their cameras on. So there was a couple, like hundreds of people watching Trevor play live. And all I was doing was scrolling through like my Zoom screen. I had it full screen so I could see like 30 people on my screen and just all these villagers in their living rooms um, at home, like some had disco lights and some were like on a date and had set up some of Trevor Hall signs and other families were eating dinner. And there was something in that moment that I was like, okay, we're, we're all still together. We're all still going to be okay. And I said to Trevor, like, I hope you do that again, because being able to see and feel everybody listening to the music, like I cried uh, during that live show because it was the first time I like I'd been in a crowd or even like simulation of a crowd. Um, and I think that, you know, in the meantime, yeah, that was one of my questions is how do you see live music changing and what are the positives, if any, um, from this? Yeah. Well, I mean, you really hit on why, you know, why Trevor and why the villagers are so special. It's, it's really been a one of a kind experience for me and I'm just so blessed to get to be a little part of it now and um, see. I would say you're a big part of it just to correct uh, you there. We um, would, we would all say you're a big part of it. But just, just this, the community is so like supportive of each other and it really is this just incredibly positive space. You might say it's the mo most positive place on the internet, you know, is where, wherever the villagers are. Um, and, uh, I, I just, oh man, it's, it's just so great to see like people building each other up and, and the division, the divisions of people, the differences of people unite them further as opposed to separate them. And, and we're, our discourse today is so the other way around. Um, so yeah, you're, you're totally right. And I, you know, look, I, I think if we were to throw a concert tomorrow, I think people would still come, you know, and I, I think people do crave that experience. Yeah. Um, and so I am hopeful that we can we can return to that. But the the my worry obviously is that is that we don't. That's what when we're talking about what keeps me up. Yeah. Uh, it's the worry that we can't get back there. But I agree with you. Like we have to we have to find a way back there. Um, because if I if it, if I can't if that was the last mosh pit I could ever start, then uh, we're in trouble. <laughs> we're all in trouble. Oh, it's so real. It makes me like pretty emotional thinking about because I had a. Mark Johnson, who I was just telling you about, um, and he goes around the world and takes a song and then finds people from all over the world to play particular instruments in the song and then makes music videos. So like, you know, a tambourine from Kathmandu and, you know, a, ja a saxophone from like deep in South Africa. Anyway, um, that's one of the things that, that we were talking about is just the music has no barrier music has no boundary and it's like everybody's like oh I love music like I've never met anybody that's like oh yeah music and eh. like I don't really like music everybody like feels like music is their soundtrack to their life and seeing it live there's nothing that can really replace that um, but I have to think that 
you know, it's a crazy time, but the things that bring people together, live music being one of them, like if we're moving into a new way of like supporting our earth and supporting each other, like live music has to be a part of that. And anyway, it's just, it's, it's very stressful. And I, um, I also share in that stress and it is not my business, but flipping the switch, what gets you out of bed? Like what's the most exciting thing about your job? Um, well, I mean, the thing about being a manager specifically, because that's my main job yeah, is that there's never not something to do, mm. right? Like if you, as a booking agent and we come from that world, um, you know, you got to make a route get offers from the venues, go over them with the artists or the artist team, confirm the shows, make sure they have an on-sale schedule. And then, you know, you're issuing contracts and these things. But there's very specific tasks you have to complete to be a booking agent. To be a label, there's very specific tasks you have to complete. You got to have the marketing plan. You got to upload the music, the metadata. You got to make sure you're doing everything to get it out there. Whereas as a manager working in lockstep with an artist, and on the three separate companies, um, there's unlimited things to do every day. And if if you can't think of one, then I would say you're not being creative enough as a manager. Um, so for me, when I wake up, and then one one of the silver linings of of working from home is, you know, I could just roll out of bed and get my coffee and and start working. I, I don't have to you know worry about getting dressed or, uh, or, or driving to work. So, um, it's just more time to try and try and do more things and try to get more, more balls in the air and, uh, get more opportunities possibly happening. Um, so yeah, I, I just, I love it, you know, and that's, that's what it is. I always want to see every day. I want to not, I'm not just satisfied if I, you know, okay, I accomplished this, this one thing in this day. No, it's like, I want to have as many balls in the air at all times, a mixture of stuff I can directly control and moonshots. So I like to spend 80% of my time on things that I feel like I can directly control, like creating a design, manufacturing that merch item properly and getting it up. That's something that I can directly control, Hmm. you know, um, uh, optimizing, you know, uh, uh, Spotify account to make sure we're, we're doing everything we can to, to increase the, increase how many plays we're getting, you know, I can directly work on that. However, Asking an editor to put it, put us on a playlist, I don't have control in that. I can lob that volley and hope right. it happens. Asking to be on late night TV, I mean, first, I could directly control myself spending the time to find out who is responsible for programming all the late night TV shows, mm-hmm. but I can't, I can't make them put us on on late night TV. So for years, I would just send, anytime I had something good, I would just, I had found out and I would just every once in a while send them something if I had something really good and they would ignore me for years. And then after a while they start saying, Hey Thomas, no, not at this time, but you know, thanks for sending. I was like, yes, big win, you know, getting the response now, getting turned down. This is major. Wow. Uh, so, you know, that, that's how I see it. And I, I just, I can't wait, you know, I can't wait till the day where I do that moonshot and that one succeeds because that late night TV, that's still a, that's still a goal of mine, you know, long-term to, to nail something in that, in that regard. But, yeah. you know, uh, yeah, so that, that's, that's really how I think of things. I, I want to create concrete results every day. And if I spend too much time going after things I can't control, then 
um, too many days, I'll feel like I, I lost. That is like one of those little pieces of wisdom that I'm just going to keep with me because I think that idea, I spend too much time stressing out or concerned with the, the lob, you know, lobbing them in the air, as you said, the things I can't control and having concrete results, because that's the thing as you know, do you consider yourself an entrepreneur? Yes, probably. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So that's the thing as an entrepreneur, it's like the day's never done. Um, and so that's something that stresses me out or keeps me up. It's like, no matter how much I get done in a day, like there's still so much more that I could have done. So I oftentimes have this like failure mentality, no matter what I do, because no matter how many hours I work, no matter how many wins I have, there's still more to be done. And there's still like, do better, right? That mentality, do better, do more. So I think that just really changed a little piece of the way that I think about things. It's like concrete results in a day, focus on things you can't control and then still lob the things up in the air, but don't really stress out about it. And like, you'll get a win eventually. And, um, that's just a really optimistic (laughs) way of thinking about business. Um, yeah. When, when, uh, you know, if, if I get turned down nine times out of 10, I'm having a good day. So you have to keep an optimistic frame of mind. That is so interesting. And a big part of like even this podcast, like I have this dream podcast guest that I really want to have on and I've looked up to her for so long and um, she's getting bigger and bigger. So like had I just asked a year ago before she wrote the next bestseller, before she went on Oprah, you know, all this stuff, I probably would have gotten more of a yes. And I see the podcast she's going on. I'm directly connected with at least five people in her inner circle and I'm afraid to ask because I, she's somebody that inspires me so much. I'm afraid to get rejected. And so now's a good time to ask when, when Danica Patrick is your most recent guest, if you wait <laughs> I'm your most recent guest, you're going to get a no. I have to say, I said to Trev this morning, I'm more nervous to interview Thomas than I was to interview Danica because it's like, I, I also had this realization recently that when my producer sends me um, he potential guests, he writes down like their Instagram following or like how many people they, their reach. Right. Um, and I just recently asked him to remove that category because the most interesting and the most exciting guests I have oftentimes, okay, Danica was very exciting and we're good friends. So that was really fun. But in general, um, the more like PR or the more, bullshit sort of this person has to go through on a daily basis. Um, the more famous they are, the less open they can be with me and the more sort of rigid their answers are. So the interviews that I like the most, so I sort of like cut that out. And as soon as I changed that mindset, that's the day that I, one of the days I asked you and about seven other people to come on because I'm like, these are the people that I look up to the most. These are the people that inspire me the most. And the world should know what these people are up to. And if I can, in a small way, you know, we have a couple thousand listens every episode, which is awesome. And uh, to be able to share you with people, like oh, everyone knows who DP is. Everyone knows who Danica is. Um number one female race car driver in the world, but the person, you know, pulling the strings behind Trevor Hall music, the person that got Trevor's song on the summer vibes playlist and got helped get, um, put down what you're carrying to a million listens in just like under two months, basically that's what I'm really interested in learning about right now. Um, because that's who I am. I'm behind 
the curtain most of the time. The podcast is the only time I sort of step out um, and put my face in front and, you know, you know, be in front of the mic or camera or whatever you say. So, um, yeah, I was more, I was really nervous to interview you and really excited about it because I know how busy you are. Um, and I know how many plates you have spinning all the time. So yeah, I'm just, it's, uh, once I made that change, the interviews also got a lot more interesting. Um, and hopefully the podcast speaks for itself and it doesn't, it doesn't matter the name, but with this one particular person I'm afraid to get rejected by, it would feel like a personal rejection, sort of like I have one email or like one opportunity for her to see me. And now I'm just like, well, if she says no, I'll just ask again in three months. Like what am like, that's so dumb to yeah. not do it. So anyway, you've been, well, would, you know, I would say you need, you need three touch points, you know, before, you know, eat, obviously send that email. Right now, before while Danica's still on the one, pause this interview. Send that email. Uh, but uh, other than that, if you don't get a response or you get the wrong response, there, it would be great before you re- reach out again. If two, she could see your name or your brand in two other places. You get that third touch point, things change. It always happens that way. You know, if somebody has, uh, uh, if they one friend has mentioned you. Then they saw you got an email blast from you and then you reach out and that's the third time or they saw your billboard of your festival. Like, you know, you might get a billboard. It's not going to drive sales, but it's a touch point. Um, I, I'm always trying to get that third touch point. That is such good marketing advice too. I say that all the time, you know, before somebody makes a purchase, especially depending on what the purchase is, I say seven touch points, like the consideration phase, especially when you're asking somebody to buy something, um, is long. And so many people go straight from awareness to purchase, um, without the consideration phase. And that's like the most important part of like being a consumer, um, is considering, right? Like I've been considering buying a Peloton or a high for like three months. I'm in that phase. So right now, the more ads I see, actually Hydro's getting me right now with their marketing um, because somehow they're listening and they know that I'm trying to make this decision. But um, it's like the more touch points I get during that consideration phase. And I don't know why I haven't been thinking about that the same way. So yeah, that was great. it just brought up an idea for me that I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to work on after we get off this because I've done direct deals with Peloton for music licensing, but I have not talked to Hydro. So <laughs> I happen to have a personal in speaking of touch points to Hydro, which I think oh. you might, you might yeah. know about. So we could talk about that offline. But um, let's move past that because the last thing I want to talk about is Music Business Club. Great. Um, can you talk to me about this? What is it? How can we find it? Tell me all the things. I love this idea. Uh, so uh, we started the company in 2006, Ineffable, not Music Business Club. And we didn't have any real mentors um, originally or no one showing us the ropes. It was mostly people, you know, m- mostly us trying things, failing miserably, and then trying not to repeat that same mistake twice. Um, and through that process of failure, after failure, after failure, um, we spent a lot of money. We wasted a lot of money on that failure. Um, and then when we started having little successes here and there, and, we, you know, it would have been so nice if we had skipped 
some of those failures, not because of the failure, because that was a great, those failures were great experiences. Right. But because of the money we wasted on those failures as an, an independent company, because no one wants to fund a music company. Um, you know, it would have been nice if we didn't waste money and we wanted to stretch our pennies as, as far as possible. So we always talked about, man, like there's so many amazing artists and with the philosophy of a rising tide lifts all boats. If we could just impart a little bit of knowledge out there and just help people skip a few mistakes, then the whole ecosystem, the whole landscape of the scenes that we care about, the conscious music scene, the reggae scene, the jam scene, these different scenes we care about, the whole landscape could be uh, healthier and we could all do better. Um, but we never really had the time outside of our own client base to do that. Mm. Uh, so as soon as the shows got shut down, we're like, okay, now's the time to do this. Like, let's, let's put this info out there. Let's create Music Business Club. Um, and let's make it a hub for the sharing of information and a sort of, a sort of mini masterclass, but on specific things that can actually be done, not these, not these grandeur ideas. Um, it's more like, Hey, how do I optimize my YouTube? You know, like that's, let's help people to make those quick steps and not waste tens of thousands of dollars trying to do it. So that, that's where music business club comes from. And it's been really cool to see, uh, the number of people that want either are in the music business and want to share info or, and get better and learn. Cause uh, another key thing in like our whole philosophy is to learn something every day. And if you ever stop learning, and it's time to switch businesses. Um, so there's so many great people like that. And then there's so many people that want to be in the music business, but don't know how to start. Um, mm -hmm. There's so many artists that are like, I, I, I have this creation now, but I don't want to just drop it and it, it goes nowhere and that's it. And then I feel defeated. Like I want to roll it out in the right way. Um, and so that's, that's what it's all about is, is, is helping um, helping artists to roll out music cr correctly, uh, to build a solid infrastructure and helping people who want to be in the music business, keep learning from each other. And, uh, yeah, it's just a, it's a fun, it's a fun project and, um, very, very happy to have some great people. In fact, we should, we should get you on there. Uh, <laughs> I don't know a lot about music. I'm just, I'm pretending to know, you know, like Trev will send me like a, a cut or like a new version of, of a mix. And I'm like that little sound right there. I love that sound, you know, but also I do have to toot my own horn and saying, and I know he's going to listen to this episode and he's going to be so annoyed because, but I'm going to say it anyway. Um, there are certain songs, like I'll give you one example is there's this song that he sent me like last year. And I was like, this is the song. Like, this is it, you know, like this is the one. And I'm sure you know which one I'm talking about. And he was like, yeah, yeah. Like, it's great. It's great. But it's not going on the album. It's not going on the album. Right. So then he goes to record and I know you and the man that were, was helping with record when he played it were like this song, like this has to be on. And I'm so excited. I've heard the mix. Like it's totally epic. I like jam to it all the time and I can just feel that this is the song, but I don't know anything about music or like beats or, or mixes or anything other than what I feel as like a fan, you know? And so yeah. what's really been fun, especially getting to see the back end, because when we came on board for Fruitful Darkness, it had already been finished. Um, so this is like my first time really getting to see like a song from, you know, him and his, um, 
you know, room upstairs, just cutting it on his computer to like the end mix and like all that process, which by the way, I, you guys are unbelievably patient. Like it's unreal. Um, but being involved in that process, I've been learning a lot and I have this like intuition. I'm like that note, I love that version. Right. But then the professionals like tell him and, and he'll do it. Right. So for me, I'm like, man, I, don't know much, but as a fan, you know, I think that there is something to be said for somebody that's been listening to somebody's music for so long. It's like, I can intuit what the fans are going to just go nuts over. And sometimes like Clay even says to me, he's like, I need you on this call. And I'm like, I don't know anything about this contract. And he's like, but your intuition is sharp. So like, maybe it's best that you don't know as much. Um, but it's interesting and it's been fun to be a part of that process and ne- like, in my heart, I'm like, this is the song. And I'm so bummed when I find out like, oh, it doesn't. And then it's like, but Thomas said that this is the song. So it, it's, it's going to go on. And it's just, you know. There's, there's, there's an episode of The Sopranos, uh, which was one of the TV shows I, I credit for kind of shaping who I am. And, and there's an episode of The Sopranos where they say, a hit is a hit. Yeah. <laughs> I know exactly what episode you're talking about. You know, there, there is a certain undeniable quality of a hit. And you don't have to know music theory or how to write or, or how to say to know when something's a hit. Yeah. Uh, and, so, and, and so just to talk, touch on Trevor's album, I mean, you know, Trevor's an amazing producer in and of himself. Hey, kids, I'm just in the middle of the podcast. Here. So cute. <laughs> oh, that's okay. No. Always up here because you got in trouble. Now I'm trying to see how that's why I'm not here. All right, I'll come see you after the podcast. Can you close the door, sweetheart? They're so cute. Uh, quarantine sessions. <laughs> quarantine sessions. Um, so, okay, so Trevor's new album, um, you know, Trevor's an amazing producer. Mm-hmm. In- Right. And I'm sure everybody is their own worst critic and whatever. But when I started hearing these mixes, I'm like, boom, they're done. You don't need anybody else touching them. You did like, this is it. Wow. Next level. Amazing. But then, you know, he, uh, Brad Cook, who produced Bonding Bears, most recent record, um, Trevor and him were able to connect and he was able to get out there in the studio with Brad and just play around with things and take it up to this next this next step. And then Johnny Cosmic, who is this wizard behind the scenes in the mixing world, and he does a lot of production himself and been instrumental in, in Stick Figures Project and, and other other bands in the reggae scene, he came in. And so you take Trevor making this song, it's like, I think it's all the way there. Then totally, add, totally, yeah. Add in a little bit of, of extra stuff here. And, and I was listening through these roughs on this, this album, and I'm like, damn, there's too many good songs. I don't know which one to push first, you know? Yeah. <laughs> but it's yeah. a good problem to have. So I'm, I'm so, so excited uh, for the rollout of Trevor's new album and uh, everything. I cannot good. wait. I cannot wait. I don't like, I don't want to jinx that I'm holding the energy sacred, but also this is so the album. Like it's so yeah. good. I'm so excited. And I love seeing how excited you get about it and like how passionate you are about what you do. And um, yeah, it's just, it's just been, uh, such a beautiful journey getting to witness some of the ideas and decisions you have, like, see, like I hear about them and then I see them come into fruition and, um, yeah, they just like, 
a huge, huge, huge inspiration. So thank you for your time. I like wish we could, you know, keep talking, but I'll probably have you back on because it's just been such a cool um, conversation to see the behind the scenes of it, how passionate you are, your purpose, like really coming to life. And as always, um, when I tend to find, um, you know, I started this whole podcast journey to really understand what makes somebody successful um, and what makes somebody, you know, what makes something fail and what makes something succeed. And time after time, authenticity wins, like authenticity wins, it's intention, it's purpose. And then of course you have to like know what you're doing or not. You can fake it till you make it. But if you have that right intention and you have that like authentic drive and work ethic, work ethic is very important. Um, it's just so cool to see that happening over and over again. So uh, the last is, um, what are our call to actions? How can we support you? Is it through music club right now? How can we find you? How can we, uh, learn more about your services? Yeah. So, um, online at ineffablemusic.com, um, and then, uh, musicbusinessclub.com. And, uh, you, you know, if you want to check out the artists there, you stream them, please, you know, independent artists who own their music, they, they get paid or not by how many times you're listening to that song. So get some playlists going, add yourself, make your own playlists, stream these artists, subscribe, subscribe, follow, like, comment, and support independent artists and, and independent music makers. Uh, and and uh, yeah, thank you so much for, for having me on, Chris. It's really, really a joy. And I'm, I, I'm so happy that you're in Santa Cruz now. I can't wait to be able to actually come down and go see a show with you. I know. I'm holding so much space for that moment that we get to go to the Catalyst and we just get to start that mosh pit. So I will be in there with you. Thank you for being here. And to everybody listening, thank you, thank you, thank you. And until next time, keep growing.